The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we have turned the calendar to June. Happy June 1st. Hope you're all doing well. This is the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird. And as we've been doing most of the time throughout baseball season on Thursdays, it's the Baseball Power Hour with Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio of Bravestoday.com. Auburn daily and the host of locked on mlb prospects Lindsay, hello man how are you uh, i am good i am good i am now that it's june i am prepared to sleep in july because postseason baseball is here for college and mlb is in full swing dog days of summer let's do it well there's so much to talk about with the atlanta braves of course with auburn baseball hosting a regional coming up this weekend this first hour it'll be stacked up like it normally is we'll talk about the braves we'll talk about what's going on in atlanta and around major league baseball but after this first segment it's all auburn baseball we're going to talk the regional we're going to talk their performance in hoover what the teams are in their regional how can auburn get out of it and possibly if things go their way host a super regional in in the NCAA tournament it's crazy to even think about that so that's what's on the docket here in hour number one coming up in hour number two it's Thursday so Chris Gordy will join us on the phone lines of Locked On SCC we'll talk to him about the spring meetings uh, going on and what the conversations have been like with that with the head football coaches the schedule what's happening with that so we'll talk to Chris Gordy coming up in hour number two but here in the first hour it's all things baseball if you have questions comments concerns phone lines are open give us a call we'd love to hear from you 334-321 1390 that number again 334-321-1390 there's nobody better than Lindsey Crosby if you have a baseball question and so if you got one give us a call we'd love to hear from you and so Lindsey as always we'll start with the Braves my first question what's going on what's happening with the Braves they've dropped two straight series including one to the worst franchise in all of baseball the Oakland A's yeah uh you know it was it was a tough month I, I I will say that they had a 21-game stretch in May against teams that have good rosters and are either going to be postseason teams or have a shot to be a postseason team. They just kind of bookended the month at the end with the Oakland A's. So, um, yeah, that was tough. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to chalk up the first game, though. It's ESPN's fault. So, they lose on Monday. It's a, it's a holiday, so the game is... Like, think 3 or 5 p.m. local time, something like that. Uh, but because ESPN decided that Sunday night should be on ESPN for Phillies Braves, mm-hmm. Atlanta doesn't leave town until after that. So Atlanta got to their hotel at 3 a.m. Oakland time oh, wow. on Monday morning and had to turn around and play, in essence, a day game uh, that day. So they, they were up body clockwise until 6 a.m., Eastern time and then had to had to play a day game. So That's I'm terrible. Kind of talking that up there. But 
Nope, it they struggled. That happens sometimes. I think Atlanta's like sometimes a team just has your number. Atlanta's six and one against Miami right now. Mm-hmm. It just sometimes a team has your number. Oakland happened to have it. They're going on. But what I like about the schedule this month is yes, you have two hard series. You have the Diamondbacks, which day off today, day off after that series. Then you play the Mets. But then after that, it's 16 straight games against teams with losing records. The there you Na- go. You get the Nationals, you get the Tigers, you get the Rockies, you get the Phillies, who are dangerous but still losing record, and you get the Reds. And then, and only then do you have to actually deal with, at the end of the month, some tough opponents because you deal with the Twins who lead the NL Central, not that that means anything, and then you get the Marlins. So, yes, they went 8-12 and 12 in the back half of May, but they are in the lead still. There are 10 games over 500, and what's good is the last two years, they had a losing record in the month of May. They were 23 and 27 last year. They were 25 and 26 in 2021. Is that coincidence or just? They they just have seemed to get off to slow starts recently, and then in the summer, they kind of pick it up. And this year, the start was hotter than, than in the past. They've built a lead, and I think that's an important part for Atlanta to make it through the playoffs. And you look at last year, they were at one point in time, they were like, 12 games back of the Mets or something and they had to chase them down all throughout the summer so they couldn't really rest the regulars Uh, Matt Olson's on a streak right now of like 300 straight games played because one they don't really have a backup first baseman but two they had to play him every day because they were in games that mattered almost every single day last Mm -hmm. year and so having uh, you know 10 games over 500 having to lead in the division gives you a little more wiggle room if you have guys who were cold and had to figure it out like Marcelo Zuna did in May, like Austin Riley started to do recently, things like that. And so with the Braves, they're 33-23. and 23. As you mentioned, they're still at the top of the NL East, um, thanks to what everybody else in the division is not doing, really. And so you've seen that, I feel like, over the last couple of years, where the Braves, even with a not great month of May, nothing really changed. I mean, you're still at top of the leaderboard. You're still ahead of everybody else. And Thankfully for the Braves, they've had that wiggle room to have a bad month, and you just hope it doesn't happen later on in the season. I don't think it will, but the Braves have had that luxury the last couple of years to where they get that early lead, and then they'll pick it up near the end of the season, so a month like we just saw probably won't hurt this team long term. Yeah, I mean, they you know they, they did all of that, and their lead in the division went from five games to four. Like, it's, it's yeah. not... Nobody else in the division had a winning record in the last 10 games, except for, I think, the Mets. I think they went 6-4. and four. But, like, it's the Braves have gotten pretty lucky in this scenario because nobody's really firing on all cylinders. And so they've been able to figure out and get through the stretch of tough teams while they were figuring out the rotation replacements. Uh, you know, it's Bryce Elder's been a revelation. I finally turned the corner and said, okay, I think I was wrong. <laughs> uh, but you've seen Jared Schuster figure it out. We saw the return of Mike Soro- of Michael Soroka which was a fantastic moment for mm-hmm. him and and he'll in 2 weeks he'll be he's lined up for a start at home on a weekend against the Nationals and assuming that Auburn knock on wood is not in some sort of postseason thing that I'm going to I'm going to be going to Truist Park to hear probably the loudest ovation in that park's history for Michael Soroka when he gets his first home start again but that's going to be Wait, awesome. So are you knocking on wood in hopes of going to the Soroka thing or Auburn continuing to play? I would rather Auburn continue to play. <laughs> I would rather Auburn continue to play and, and go on through the postseason. That, that was only, that was the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. Like it I was. would rather I, that happen. It was if, a test. If that doesn't happen, then the the 
alternative for me is I get to go see Michael Soroka make his first home start in three years. You have a win-win then. You either going to watch Auburn and cover Auburn in postseason play even longer, or you're going like you said to what should be a fantastic atmosphere when he gets a start. Yeah, I've already said it a couple different places. I expect that to be probably the loudest ovation in Truist Park history. Wow. Simply because. Every other loud ovation you've had in the park, whether it was for Freddie Freeman when he came back, what you know, what you'll get for Dansby when he comes back, things like that. There's always been that person who didn't necessarily like Freddie because he left, or you know, won't like Dansby because he left. But everybody in baseball has been cheering for Michael Soroka. I mean, two, you know, two torn Achilles, he made his way mm-hmm. back. It took three years, but he made his way back and he pitched in a major league game. Like, there's nobody in baseball cheering against the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when when talking about the Braves this year, mm-hmm. I am curious about one thing. What do you chalk up the fact that the Braves are eighteen and nine on the road and just fifteen and fourteen at home? Why are they struggling so much more at home? Well, does it go back to the opponents that they're playing? I was going to say I do think that's part of it because a lot, especially early in the year, a lot of the guys, folks, they had at home, excluding when you had the Reds, mm-hmm. like they had the Padres come to town. Uh, they had the Dodgers the come to town. They had the Astros come to town. And a lot of when they were on the road, they went to Washington. They went to Kansas City. So some of it's sample size noise. It's such a small sample size that it skews with it a bit. Uh, and even the teams that have come that you would think would be pushovers, I'm thinking like a Miami, traditionally, I mean, they're they're tied for second in the East. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. uh, two games over 500 and tied for second in the East, only four games back. And so they've been tougher than you expected them to be. I think some of it's that. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's an issue with Truist Park, which has traditionally played as a pitcher's park, but has been more hitter-friendly the last couple seasons analytically. I don't quite know if it's because of the changes in the ball and what that's done because they've not changed the dimensions, but it's gone from a hitter from a pitcher's park into more of a hitter's park. Uh, I, I, I still think it's small sample size. You do also have some issues of, I believe, two of the three bullpen games were at home. With only one of them being on the road, I'm thinking Toronto was the one on the road. And mm-hmm. so that may be part of it as well. But some of it could just be small sample size. As we get into the month of June for the Braves, you talked about the opponents coming up at the Diamondbacks, home for the Mets, home for the Nationals, at the Tigers, home for Colorado. So looks to be a favorable schedule for the Braves in June. What are the injury updates? What's going on injury-wise and health-wise for this Atlanta Braves team as the calendar turns to June? Yeah, Max Freed is throwing a baseball. He is not pitching yet, but he is throwing a baseball. He's looking to make it back uh, right around the All-Star break. The common rule of thumb is for every week that you miss for a pitcher, you need a week of uh, of play to build back up from that. So if mm-hmm. he misses five weeks he needs four or five weeks of throwing of a throwing program and rehab starts combined to get back into game shape so he's expected to be around the all-star break uh you are still looking at probably august for kyle wright he has not even started throwing a baseball yet just something where uh, that shoulder they're waiting for the shoulder to calm down he got another cortisone injection things like that if it doesn't uh, fix itself or calm, you know, calming down all the inflate, inflammation and things like that. They're actually discussing they may have to do surgery. Mm. That's they, They've not ruled anything out. They've not said it's going to happen yet, but that's just where they are on that. Uh, and then other than that, Atlanta's done a pretty good job. Everybody else, for the most part, is healthy. Michael Harris has ba- finally said he's back to feeling okay now. Uh, he had, even when he didn't miss time with the knee issue, he still had that big bulky brace on and it hampered him. You could tell offensively, you could tell it it it, it hampered him a bit. Uh, he's picked it up some. So it looks like the team for the most part is okay, minus those couple pitchers. I know it's it's kind of 
early to be thinking about this, but you did write an article about this yesterday uh, about the Braves potentially needing to add a left fielder. Uh, as we move toward the trade deadline, who are some what where are some positions that the Braves may need to add? Uh, and with the left fielder uh, that you wrote the article about, who are some names for Braves fans to maybe keep an eye on? Yeah, so it feels like you're going to go for the bullpen. Uh, it's mm-hmm. something where you've seen guys not be as effective as you wanted. Joe Jimenez struggled. Lucas Letge was bad enough where they, they DFA'd him and they called up 20-year-old A.J. Schmitschauver, who I'm a big fan of, but he has 110 innings in professional baseball. Mm. At Two years ago, he was in high school, and he's now in an MLB bullpen. So... Uh, it feels like reliever, veteran reliever is always a thing for everybody, every contender at the deadline. Not going to be any different this year. Uh, I'm personally of the opinion, side note, that if you are a, a non-contending team, there is no reason not to sign a bunch of veterans to one-year pitching deals and trade them at the deadline. Just mm-hmm. It should be automatic thing is we have these young pitchers we're going to sign some vets we're going to let them teach our young guys and we're going to kick them out of the deadline. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to get some prospects for them because I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Um, but as far as, as outfielders being available, a lot of it, it's hard right now to figure out who's going to be available because it's hard to figure out who's going to be out of it. With you have the expanded yeah. wildcard, there's three wildcard spots now, and you have situations where, like, look at the Angels. The Angels are, I want to say, two games back of Houston for the final wildcard spot in the American League. And so they would be a team you would assume would be trading things, including Shohei Otani, but uh, all the moves they've made, promoting Zach Neto, calling up Ben Joyce, that's all been win-now moves because they still think that they're in it, and they technically are still in it. They have a winning record. Uh, so, so it's a little bit tough. There's a couple things we can tell that are going to have to get rid of some guys. The White Sox look like they're not going to make things happen. Uh, the, the, the Tigers are a team that surprisingly looks like they might be actually be contending. I want to say they're second in the Central. Uh, so... A lot of there's been a lot of talk about White Sox guys you would go after. You might do some sort of pitcher, reliever, possible position player trio there, make a big trade with one team. Uh, but th- they're going to be the, the most attractive as far as pitching options go, both in the bullpen. I like Joe Kelly. Give me a Joe Kelly. Yep. Uh, as well as starters with a Lucas Giolito and a Dylan Cease and. Uh, Michael Kopech, things like that. Yeah, Joe Kelly is, he is a character, man. He, <laughs> Joe, he, Joe he can Kelly, pitch, though. Joe Kelly's a character, but he can he can throw a 99-mile-an-hour two-seamer, and yep. that sweeper's deadly. So And he will let you know about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He will tell you exactly how much better that pitch is than you. Mm-hmm. That, that White Sox staff has a few characters. Between uh, Liam Hendricks, between Joe Kelly, and drawing a blank on big fella that pitched at Ole Miss. Oh, um, um... Uh, not Lance Lynn. What am I? Put him no, on the spot. I, I think that might be it. Lance right? Lynn. Yeah. He's, is it Lance yeah. Lynn? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. he famously yells a lot of aggressive <laughs> oh, yes, expletives yes. at that, guys. Big guy expletives. That's Lance Lynn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's. It seems like that's what the White Sox have. Maybe the Braves could use one of those if they do end up going uh, with that and trying to get some guys coming up at the deadline. But we're talking with Lindsey Crosby, host of the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast, contributor for Auburn Daily and with BravesToday.com. You've heard him as we've played some of their audio. Uh, him and Ben Taylor, they always let us use that, so we are thankful for that. He's in studio for all of hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, but when we come back, we're talking Auburn baseball for the rest of the hour, talking about how they got here, the turnaround they've made. Is Butch Thompson the best coach on the Plains? Yeah, probably. And we'll talk about what this regional looks like in Auburn this weekend. Give us a call. 334-321-1390. Auburn baseball conversations when we come back. 
are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7 for the Thursday edition of On the Line. We are joined by Lindsey Crosby. Tell everybody where they can find all your wonderful stuff, man. The hub for everything uh, is on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, but certainly at the bottom, working their way up. Uh, Auburn Baseball, AuburnDaily.com. Minor League Baseball the podcast is locked on MLB Prospects, available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. It is the number one daily Minor League Baseball podcast. Hey, And then... Major League Baseball, Bravestoday.com. There it is. Well, go find his work. He does fantastic stuff. And talking with uh, and talking about Auburn baseball as they have their regional this weekend. They are host once again, second time in a row. Of course, hosting last year as well. And they are one of eight, Lindsay, one of eight SEC teams hosting a regional that is half of the entire field. And so before we look at the regional for the first time ever, for the first time ever. Right, exactly. And before we look at the field, before we look at what's going on around the SEC, what Auburn's doing, we're talking Auburn baseball the rest of our number one here on On the Line. Before that, how in the world, and I mean how in the world, did Auburn figure this thing out halfway through the year after losing at home against Texas A&M, after going to Tuscaloosa and losing two of three, the conversation was legitimately, this team's not going to make the postseason. How in the world are they hosting a regional this weekend? And if things go right in Clemson, South Carolina, you could be hosting a super regional. So it depends on on who you ask. I had this conversation with Butch Thompson today. We had me available to preview the series. And uh, he gave the credit to Casein Howell. Veteran Casein Howell, the center fielder. He's made, you know, a thousand or something starts at the college level. That's a joke, but only kind of. He is on his fifth or sixth year of college. And he said that after the Alabama series on the way back from Tuscaloosa it was not a very pleasant bus ride uh, they, they they were not having a good time and Case and Howell kind of circled the wagons and he gathered everybody together uh in the clubhouse the coaches make a point at Auburn that the clubhouse is the players mm-hmm. the coaches don't spend a lot of time in there the coaches don't have any sort of uh, uh rules or dominance over the clubhouse that is for the players and Case and Howell kind of circled the wagons had a conversation with the team and essentially said like we're not playing Auburn's baseball like we we have to be better here's what we're going to do and from there you got the second half of the of the conference slate where you were one of the the hottest teams in the country you and the other Tigers the Clemson Tigers Mm -hmm. entering this field of 64 Uh, to me one of the big changes was the pitching staff and Butch Thompson talked about for the Florida series they kind of went he said I I went and kicked the anthill if you think back and you remember that Florida series, that's where they went and they shuffled up who was doing what. It was a lot of your starters for the weekend. Will Cannon went from closing to starting. John Armstrong went from reliever to starting. Just a lot of guys in different roles. And that's where they figured out, okay, maybe Tommy Vale is a weekend guy that we can count on versus being a fantastic midweek piece. Uh, and so the, the pitching staff coming together and really – uh, Tommy Vale taking over the role that Joseph Gonzalez would have filled as that sinker slider pitchability guy that is going to have a surprising number of strikeouts, but is just not going to give up barrels, not going to give up solid contact, and is going to keep us in the game because he can give us both length and keep runs off the board. So, it, so the runs off the board keeps us in this game, and the length keeps us in the series. 
you stop having to blow the whole bullpen and then that game mm-hmm. three is a destruction like where Georgia scored what 24 runs against Auburn <laughs> yeah that was bad so to me the big switch was Tommy Vale but Butch gives the credit to Case and Howell and with with Case and Howell with the offense we knew all season long and coming into the year that the offense was going to be the strong point the pitching was the big question especially when somebody like Gonzo goes down right mm-hmm. They bounced back. And not only did they bounce back, they started winning. They started winning games. They started taking control to the pitching staff. In in your professional opinion when it comes to baseball, how hard is it as a pitching staff, a struggling pitching squad who really had to rally, how tough is it midseason to just turn on a dime like they did? I think a lot of it is... It's not easy if you don't know what your job is, if that makes sense. So like going into a weekend, you would have situations Auburn was trying different starters. And so you might have a guy who was prepping all weekend to be a starter, but then in game two, somebody got knocked out in the third inning and you had to go into the game and give Auburn some length. And so the instability and the not having the certainty of your role is the hardest part behind uh, being in a bullpen or being a, a, a pitcher on a staff that's struggling. Mm-hmm. And so once you kind of figured out, okay, Vale and Alsup and Herber Holtz can be our three, and we can plan to have this righty come in behind Alsup. We can plan to have this guy come in behind Vale. Everybody kind of has a little better expectations of what to expect and what my job is. This is what I need to do. I need to be prepared to come in. If there's runners on base, it's going to be John Armstrong. If there's not runners on base, it's going to be Tanner Bowman. I need to, and I know when I get the ball, I need to be able to give them three innings or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been one of the biggest changes to me. And because of all that instability and because of uh, some of the issues you had earlier in the year with allowing tons of runs, everybody on this team, for the most part, outside of Tommy Vale, has very bad surface level numbers I think the only pitcher with an ERA under four on the roster is Tommy Vale wow and that's because you know everybody's been in situations that they got blown up and because of that when you look on paper from outside at this Auburn team and I I did a podcast last night with some folks from Southern Miss they were talking about this about how it feels like Auburn's pitching is gettable and I'm like well somewhat there are some guys that you can you can probably count on in the bullpen of being able to give up some stuff but a lot of these guys aren't as bad as they look on paper they were in a bad situation earlier in the year if you could isolate just the back half of the sec schedule you'd see that will cannon has been lights out but he's got a 4-2-5 era on the season because he got blown up at florida or something like that so i think there's a little bit of this team can take advantage of that a bit and not that teams are not that like Southern Miss is looking past Sanford or things like that, but everybody understands Auburn is the biggest obstacle in this regional. But people on the outside, like D1 baseball, things like that, think that Auburn is the most gettable of the teams in this regional as far as they're probably the seed that's most likely to lose. And I don't quite think that should be the case. So I'm talking about these pitching staves uh, in this regional. I think probably uh, Southern Miss has a better bullpen than Auburn does, and a lot's been made of Penn's starting rotation. Mm -hmm. Is Auburn's offense that has been so good this year and the the defensive play and everything around that and how this Auburn staff has gotten better and better as they've gone, 
is the offense good enough to overcome potentially, I guess, two pitching staffs that might be better, uh, especially with numbers, than, than Auburn's staff? I think that Auburn has the best offense in this regional. And I oh, yeah. think that, that power-wise, Auburn has enough threats all the way through the lineup where they're going to be able to capitalize on mistakes. But this very much is going to look like some of those mid-season games where it's a low-scoring game for five or for six or for seven, and, it, and Auburn's got to get that guy out of the game so they can get to into the bullpen. Mm-hmm. You know, I can think about when Auburn played Jacksonville State. Jack State had that dude that was just shoving, and he goes like seven scoreless against Auburn, and Auburn comes back and wins the game because they get into the bullpen in the eighth and ninth innings. So... I think Auburn's offense is good enough. I think it's dynamic enough where they can do this. Uh, But it is going to be, and Butch made this point today, don't look past these teams because they're not the big names like you had at UCLA and Florida State last year. These are very good teams, and all three of them— Southern Miss is a great baseball program. Yeah, Southern Miss hosted a regional last year. Yeah, I mean, all three of these teams are coming in very hot because they had to win their tournaments to get in, whether it's Sanford, whether it's Southern Miss winning the Sun Belt, or Penn winning the Ivy. They're all really good teams, really good staffs. You can't look past them. That's a that's just a perfect Butch Thompson quote. Don't overlook them because they're not the big names. That's just that's so on point for Butch Thompson. We'll talk more Auburn baseball, break down the regional some more, and look around the country for what's gonna happen this weekend. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. And Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird, and we are joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for our baseball power hour here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Lindsey hosts Locked on MLB Prospects, contributor for Auburn Daily and with Bravetoday.com. We're talking Auburn baseball, hosting a regional this weekend. Want to start breaking it down a little bit because we talked about how Auburn got here. We all know the miracle turnaround it took for this team not only to get uh, to Hoover not only to get into the NCAA tournament but to host a regional and you look around this regional Southern Miss Penn all right those two are I think Southern Miss is probably the team to beat I think that's the team that you should be worried about but Mm -hmm. Penn Southern Miss and Sanford Lindsay your your breakdown you can do it however you want to but just your breakdown of this regional for Auburn with some tough teams in it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, going by seeding, Southern Miss, like you said, definitely agree they are the team to beat outside of Auburn in this regional. Uh, something where they were one game behind Coastal in Conference USA. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, it, they, they won the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the tournament in their first year. They were eligible to do it. Uh, it's a team where your ace, Tanner Hall, is probably the best pitcher in the regional on both sides. Uh I actually, for Locked on MLB Prospects, I have him as a top 115, top 110 pick as far as like skill. Uh, so very good there. And his stats bear that out. 12-3, and 2-2-3 ERA on the season. Uh, from when I was talking to Southern Miss folks, they're holding him for Saturday for an, a matchup against Auburn. They have a, a veteran position player group. So a bunch of guys that are older, which always kind of seems to be what Southern Miss is. But a, lo- a lot of older guys... I think that they are a little bit gettable in defense. I think their defense isn't as great. Uh, and then you have something where outside of 
a couple of the top guys in the bullpen, you have questions about how much depth they have when you get to a game three of a series or maybe even a game four like they would face. If Auburn were to beat them on Saturday, they would have to turn around and play two games or and win two games on Sunday. And I question if they have the depth to do something like that. But uh, Southern Miss, very good team. Uh, Samford is just, I mean, they won three games in one day. Yeah. Like to get out yeah. of the SOCON. And it's just, whenever a team can do something like that, it's like, and this is not just a pun off their name, but like there's some dogs over there. <laughs> like, there are some, like that is, uh, now the and pitching. You better score a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, because you're pitching the last three games in a day, that's pretty difficult. Yeah. And their, their pitching isn't necessarily great. They had a great game in that regional or sorry, in that conference tournament, but their mm-hmm. pitching isn't necessarily that great. They do have the SoCon Pitcher of the Year in uh, Jacob Cravey, I think is his name. But outside of that, they have like one or two go-to bullpen arms and then not a lot else. And so they're trying to get depth out of their reliable starters and then let their offense just put up tons of runs. And so you have to be solid on your pitching and you have to get their starter out of the game. So... Auburn has had a tendency at times this year to swing at the first pitch, to go to attack a pitcher early in that bat. And if you face off against Samford, which ideally you would not do until, you know, uh, Saturday in the winner's bracket or Sunday in the winner's bracket. But if you face off against Samford, you've got to you've got to be disciplined at the plate and then you have to uh, you have to get into their bullpen. Uh, Penn has very good pitching. Uh, their their starter, I want to say the the starter on on Friday night. I can't re- I, I can't remember his first name, but his uncle is the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, how about that, Dombrowski. Ryan Drombowski? Ryan Drombowski. Drombowski. Yes. And Love so, it. like, it's an Ivy League school. So the safe assumption off of the stereotype is these are all rich kids who have spent their entire life doing nothing but baseball with all of the resources and and extra private instruction you need to be really good at baseball and so the staff is very very good uh this is the first time i think they've been in the tournament in like 20 or something years and so it's a it's a veteran rotation that is very good you've got a couple uh bullpen arms but again you have a question about the depth and then Butch Thompson made the point today that they've got like three or four guys that are transferring to Power 5 schools, including uh, Texas A&M and then soon-to-be SEC opponent Texas. They're transferring after the season. They're transferring after the season. Interesting. And so it's like, yeah, we've got like there's multiple guys who are moving up into who are SEC caliber or Power 5 caliber hitters in that lineup. And so and then some other guys who are going to get drafted. So very talented and better than a traditional four seed. So you cannot look past Penn to Southern Miss. You cannot look past uh, this regional to the Supers. You've got to handle business tonight. And Butch said, like he's, he, he said, literally, I'm concerned about how do we get out of the first inning on Friday night. He's like, I don't, I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's just that's how single-mindedly focused we are on we cannot look ahead. We have to like respect these teams. We have to... Uh, understand that this anything can happen in a uh, in a round robin style like this where you lose one game and you're in the losers bracket. Mm-hmm. So and when when you look at this pin team and this staff, um, how susceptible are they for this Auburn team to go put up a big crooked number and get to the bullpen like like Auburn has had success with 
And then kind of on the flip side, who is who's kind of the X factor for Penn on the on offense that could turn a game like this Friday night matchup on its head? So I think pitching wise, Ryan Dombrowski's given some good length throughout uh, uh, throughout the season, but just like a lot of players, he is he is prone to two out hits. And so I think if Auburn has a big inning, you're going to see a two-out rally, multiple hits like that uh, against him. And it's simply uh, the nature of the stuff that he throws. Uh, he, he's not giving up tons of home runs. He's not letting you get solid barrels. But at the same time, he also hasn't always faced teams as good as Auburn. And so I think the experience this team has, the skill they have batting with two outs, and the skill they have batting with two strikes, I've noticed with this team, I think that's going to be valuable if they get into the bullpen, there's a lot of really funny looks in the bullpen. Guys with like low slots or weird stuff, but not funny looking though, right? I haven't actually looked at the roster. They may be funny looking <laughs> too. Uh, but Dombrowski's very much like a souped-up Joseph Gonzalez. I mean, he's he's sinker slider. He's not letting you get uh, good looks. He's not letting you make solid contact. And so Auburn's going to have to string together hits. And then when there is a mistake, they're going to have to pounce on a mistake, try to put it over the fence. But it's very much going to be, can you play fundamentally sound baseball at the plate? Can you properly identify stuff out of the hand? Because he's like a better, not better, but he's like a souped up Joseph Gonzalez as far as what he tries to do on the mound. Thankfully, that's a profile they've seen now for a few years. Auburn opening up with Penn tomorrow in the first game of the regional, 6 o'clock over at Plainsman Park. Tickets sold out. Uh, good luck if, you, if you're trying to get tickets this weekend, man. Good luck because it, it's, it is tough to get inside that building this weekend. Tickets sold out in 14 minutes. Now, the school has said that the morning of each game, they will be releasing tickets as they're made available from the visitors. Uh, it will be first come, first serve. I believe it's going to be at the box office. I was going to ask, is that through StubHub? or At the, at the ticket booth, I believe. It's okay. going to be like in person. But you do always have the ability. You can go in Operation Atmosphere. You can watch them out there. You can watch from the parking deck as well. So it's something where if you want to come by, hang out by the Frank Thomas statue trying to get tickets. And if you can't get them, then going and watching out there, you can do that. Uh, but I do think... And Butch has acknowledged this. The crowd, even though Auburn doesn't control all the aspects of this, because it's an NCAA production, they have rules about everything from like what I can video in the press box to everything else. Uh, the crowd definitely is going to be a factor in Auburn's favor. Mm-hmm. And and I think that I we can't overstate enough how important it is for people. Even if you don't have a ticket, come out, be part of the atmosphere, uh, and, and cheer this team on. Because Butch Thompson has talked multiple times on the record about how impactful the fans have been this season well it should be a fantastic atmosphere in auburn this weekend for uh, the regional inside plainsman park Lindsay, looking around the other regional sites and the other groups of regionals and the teams that are going everywhere else which ones stand out to you we mentioned earlier and we've mentioned quite a bit that half of the regional hosts are sec teams uh, you have clemson who's one of the hottest teams in the country right now what other regionals uh before we wrap up the hour and give our picks for this auburn regional what other regionals around the country this weekend catch your eye so i like the florida regional as far as name power and star power there you look at uh, number one seed florida number two seed yukon which is a an underrated program that mm-hmm was trying to get a hosting spot. There was talk about both them and Boston College being in that conversation. Uh, Number three, Texas Tech, another school that traditionally has been very good. And just this season, nobody really wanted to win that conference. But outside of that, and then Florida A&M, who Auburn's seen and we're we're familiar with, 
I don't expect them to be too much of a challenge for Florida on uh, in Game 1. But that series has the potential to be really interesting. And then right behind that, uh, NC State as a three-seed in South Carolina with a very angry Campbell Campbell's Campbell Camel squad. <laughs> there you go. At number two against South Carolina, who ended the season very poorly. And if you were if if, if RPI and the selections were weighted towards second half performance, South Carolina definitely would not be hosting a regional. They would be a, a two or three seed. Uh, and so that Campbell that can't like Campbell coming out of there is a very real possibility. And those two regionals are paired together. So if Florida gets knocked off by somebody, if Campbell gets knocked off by somebody, that's the chaos. Like that's the chaos super regional. Yeah. We have no idea who that may be. Uh, but I do think Auburn's regional is going to be really interesting too, just simply because these are all really good teams with, for the most part, good pitching staffs outside of Sanford. I kind of think a sneaky one might be that Stanford re- regional with how hot Texas A&M is mm-hmm. going into it. And look, their four seeds, Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton took two out of three versus Texas, or the the three seed, rather, took two out of three versus Texas this year, beat mm-hmm. UCLA by 10 in a midweek game. Like, they beat some good teams, and that's I, – I, I could see either one of those teams figuring out a way to make it out of Stanford. And at the, the sunken diamond. Yeah, and well – and I think something that's kind of underrated, too, in this whole aspect, I think they traveled maybe yesterday, but Texas A&M sliding across the country. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're there. And then that whole body clock thing with what time it is in their heads when they're playing. So they're traveling across the country and their first matchup is a really good Cal State Fortune team. And so, I mean, you that could be a chaos regional as well as far as what happens there. Is that going to go chalk? Is that not going to go chalk? Um, I do think that. Where was it here? Oh. The, the Coral Gables Regional. Yep, so right. Texas is always a threat. Uh, it's Texas versus Louisiana and then Miami versus Maine. I think Miami's going to be fine versus Maine, but I don't trust the rest of that Miami staff to handle their business against Texas. That feels to me like that could be dangerous as well. And that's actually tied to the Stanford Regional as mm-hmm. far as you know who would host the Super. That may be another one where don't book anything because we don't know where we're going to be going uh, that'll be really interesting. And then the Virginia Regional yes. with East Carolina yes. and then Oklahoma and then Army. I mean, Army is a four seed. That's a tough draw. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Army is a four seed to open up for Virginia. And Virginia is one of those school, very good school, hasn't gotten the attention maybe that they deserve because they've been overshadowed in the ACC by what Clemson did late in the year. They're a good squad, but East Carolina hosted last year. Like, that's a mm-hmm. very good team. Oklahoma went to the College World Series. And Oklahoma went to the College World Series. And a lot of that was Cade Horton just dragging them behind him as he went. But still, like, they were a very good team. And so, College World Series runner, uh, uh, contestant as a three seed, last year's regional host as a two seed, and then a military team, you know they're going to be disciplined at four. That's another very fun regional to watch. And I'm going to be interested to see, can Virginia pull it off? Because if they do, then it's the they're paired with Coastal Carolina. And so that'll be Eastern, Eastern Carolina versus Coastal Carolina would be a fantastic Super Regional. Absolutely. Do you think that there's any like correlation with being uh, an armed forces, being an academy school? Do you see those teams draw more walks because their plate discipline is that much better? 
Uh, it's they do better in baseball than they don't do in answer football. that. Listen, um, <laughs> listen. I support our troops. I uh, I run the triple option. Um, that's about as all the opinion I can give you when it comes to service academy sports. Yeah, that's that's the that's the right answer. Well, when we come back, we'll get some predictions and picks from Lindsey Crosby. He'll wrap up hour number one with us, host of Locked On MLB Prospects, contributor for Auburn Daily and with BraveToday.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll give some picks when we come back. Are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the first hour here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Got a few more minutes with Lindsey Crosby. Again, right before we give our picks and predictions, Lindsey, let everybody know where they can find you and all your fantastic work as baseball season is in the heart of it right now. I am on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's your hub for everything here. Uh, the The college baseball stuff auburndaily.com we will have full coverage on twitter on the site all the way through the entire regional weekend uh, minor league baseball locked in mlb prospects number one daily minor league baseball podcast comes out monday through friday every single day and the professional baseball at mlb level Today.com. There it is. So go find all of his work. Lindsay, we have a few more minutes with you here in the studio. Want to get your picks and predictions for SEC teams and regionals, and then obviously we'll get your thoughts and picks for Auburn this weekend. Ten SEC teams playing this weekend. Mm-hmm. Eight of them are hosting. How many of them make it to the Super Regionals? I'm going to say eight are going to make it to Supers, but... South Carolina is not one of them, despite being a host. So I have okay. I have South Carolina losing, and I have Kentucky losing. Interesting. Which is a little bit of a hot take, I've been told. Okay, but interesting. I like West Virginia and Indiana both to have a shot to knock off Kentucky in that regional. But I've got South Carolina losing, I've got Kentucky losing, and so I have eight teams making it. And that does include Tennessee knocking off Clemson. All right, interesting. Uh, so, uh, it's just something where I know Clemson's incredibly hot, but... I just I have I have faith that Lipscomb's going to give them a bigger challenge than they expect, and then Tennessee is going to come in and finish them off. So, Kentucky making teams uh, <laughs> essentially like live in a five by ten room. Um, that's not going to be an advantage at all for them. I really think the NCAA <laughs> should have stepped it and said Kentucky's players have to do that too. I think that should that's have been a thing. Fair. I like that. Into- NCAA should have said that's fine. You guys also have to be in the dorm. Your the team, pictures are your coaches. Hilarious. Everybody has to do the same thing that they're doing. You wanted the NCAA to step in and do something right? Come on, man. Yeah, that's 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 my problem. I just see like what they do, like having been around the re- now twice for a regional, and I mm-hmm. see what level of control they have over the venue for Auburn. I mean, Auburn can't do anything like they're the home team. They because, can't even, like you said, it's an NCAA event. It's an, yeah, it's, it's an NCAA event. It just happens to be here, mm-hmm. and so I really think that. NCAA should have made Kentucky stay in the dorms like everybody else. I, I'm with you. I like that a lot, actually, because Lexington, it's their fault. I mean, they misplanned and, and had yeah. a country music festival and whatever else and state baseball and softball going on in Lexington as well. So you have Kentucky losing and you have uh, South Carolina losing out of the SEC. Gets us into the Auburn Regional this weekend That by process of elimination. You do have Auburn making it out of the regional, but what do they have to do to beat Penn, Southern Miss, and Sanford, and possibly, if Tennessee does beat Clemson, host a Super Regional? So Auburn has to uh, stay, like to to keep Penn from getting runs on the board until Auburn can get past the starter, past Dombrowski. Uh, Penn is gettable, and I think they can get a couple runs against him. I don't know if they're going to get the big inning or not, but Auburn has to 
get into Penn's bullpen as early as possible and then get a big inning, get a crooked number. When you advance on, assuming you face Southern Miss, you're going to have another situation where you've got a very good starter. You've got to get past him and get into the bullpen. It's going to come down to can Auburn's pitchers keep Auburn in the game long enough for this offense, which is, like I said, I think the best offense in the regional, for this offense to go out there, get a mistake, take advantage of it, you know, Bryson Ware gets some more home runs. Auburn's got three guys in double digits and two more that would have been if not for injury in Bobby Pierce and Cooper McMurray. And so Auburn's got the power. Can they take advantage of mistakes? Can the pitching keep them in it? And can they get that starter who is a very good pitcher out of the game? Who is the one person for Auburn that has to have a big weekend for them to make it out? As much as I want to say your leadoff guy in Chris Stanfield, I think it's Cole Foster. Something where he is, uh, the switch hitting aspect is big for this team. He is a guy who had a monster regional last year. He hit mm-hmm. two home runs in the first inning, in the first game, one from each, each side of the plate. He, to me, is the swing guy because they're not as worried about him as they are about a Bryson Ware, a Cooper McMurray. And the fact that he is essentially matchup proof with the switch hitting. He's the guy that needs to have a big game, one, to set the table for a Bryson Ware for a Cooper McMurray, uh, but also because he can bring, he can drive in a Chris Stanfield if he's batting, you know, when, he, when he's batting second. If Stanfield gets on first base, you hit a double, he's going to score. Mm-hmm. And so Cole Foster is going to be the engine that makes this offense run this weekend. If Auburn wins and it makes it out of the regional and Tennessee, that's the two seed in Clemson, which Clemson should be upset that Tennessee got put in their regional. If the Volunteers win, they would be coming to Auburn for a Super Regional. How big would that be for this town and for this program? That'd be the first time ever. I mean, and, and it's something where Auburn is, and Butch had the stat today, Auburn I think is 9-0 and in their last nine regional games, and they're 11-2 and under Butch Thompson. And yet, despite all of that, they've never hosted a regional. And we've talked now on this show about how the goals for Auburn has changed. The goal used to be make it to Omaha. And like that was, you know, make it to Omaha. And now the goal is win the whole thing. Hosting a Super Regional is the first step of making that a reality. Auburn has to beat Penn, Southern Miss, and Sanford at home this weekend. Go to Plainsman Park, take it all in, and be a part of the fun. Lindsey, as always, brother, we appreciate you stopping by. Thank you for having me. Lindsey Crosby joined us in all of hour number one. Stay tuned, though. Hour number two coming up. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. 
You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird. As we get underway in hour number two, if you missed any of the first hour, Lindsey Crosby just left the studio. Uh, Of course, he is the host of Locked on MLB Prospects. He is a contributor for Auburn Daily and with Brave today.com and so we appreciate him joining us for what we have uh pretty much said is our baseball power hour we talked Braves we talked Auburn we talked all the regionals Uh, it was a really really fun hour talking all things baseball with Lindsey Crosby so if you missed any of it you know how to find it go find the podcast ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast it's posted every day commercial free right after the show so be sure you go and catch up and get all your fix for Auburn baseball as they get ready to host Penn tomorrow in the regional And uh, Lindsey had some really good things, talked about what Auburn has to do to get out of the regional, what it would mean if Auburn gets the chance to host a super regional. And so, again, that was all back in the first hour. And you can catch up with that anytime today right after the show at ESPNAU.com. But here in hour number two, uh, we're going to talk a little Auburn basketball. This will be a shorter start of this segment because Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, who joins us every Thursday at 3.30, he'll be joining us at 3.15 had something come up and so he uh, uh, asked if we could move it up just a little bit and so we'll get to him at 315 so this will be a shorter segment we'll talk a little Auburn basketball get to a break and then we'll have Chris Gordy host of the Locked on SEC podcast and talk to him about the SEC spring meetings that are happening and have been happening this week get his thoughts on everything going on and so uh, excited to hear what he has to say that'll be at 315 but until then phone lines are open we'd love to hear from you here in hour number two 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390. And Carter, with Auburn basketball, we got some not-so-breaking breaking news yesterday. And Jayla Williams, Dylan Cardwell, both coming back. They withdrew their names from the NBA draft. They are coming back to Auburn. So that is Jayla Williams, Dylan Cardwell, and of course, Janai Broom from over the weekend. So your front court is... I'm not going to say set, but you feel comfortable with it right now because you've got at the four... Jalen Williams and Chaney Johnson locked in. At the five, you've got Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell, which was not that far off from what your your uh, front court was this past year. The only change is Chaney Johnson is in that rotation. Um, we know that in a pinch you can play, I guess, Jalen Williams a little bit at the five. That's happened a time or two when they've gone really small. And you can play Chris Moore at the four. Um, don't love the size mismatch there. No, I don't um, either. Because he's he's not that tall. He's like six five, he, maybe six six. He's a he's a three. I mean, yes, and he's, he's a, a he's a dirty work uh, three. Go get you rebounds. Um, play really hard. Play good defense. That's kind of who he is. Every now and then, uh, when those shoulders are healthy, mm-hmm. have a have a catch and shoot three, spot up three, and. Uh, was pretty good at that in the early portion of the season this past year. Um, but, I mean, now it feels like the vast majority of this roster is set in stone, and you feel pretty good right now, especially with the things happening around the SEC with uh, Alabama losing significant pieces, including the 3, 4, and 5 in their starting lineup from last year. Uh, they're not a very long team right now. Um 
Tennessee returns some really high-level players, and they went and got some uh, solid transfers. They're going to be a good team, uh, although the man with the most vicious elbows in college basketball, Plavchich, um, he's gone, I believe. Yeah. Um, Do you think they'll be as physical next year as they were this past year? I mean, they were they were frankly, borderline playing I football. Think, I don't think they've been a physical team. I think the only reason why they've been physical was the mentality that Plavchich brought to the team. And I'm curious to see if that carries over to next year, if the effects are still there. Because before Plavchich, I'll say it, they were soft. Yeah. They were really soft. Mm-hmm. And you could bully them. And Auburn did plenty of times. Um, Arkansas, there's always going to be talent. Curious to see what their three-point shooting looks like. And then Kentucky is that, you know, that meme of the uh, burning dumpster floating down the street <laughs> in like a flood? Yeah. It's that right now. I, I think of the meme of the little girl that she's standing there in the road with the house on fire behind her. And I picture that as Oscar Shibway walking out of Lexington, Kentucky, because He's leaving, and they are doomed. And also, we had Lance Dahl on yesterday, host of Locked On Kentucky, and he brought up the name of Zach Eady. Well, he's going to Purdue. He's going back to Purdue. Well, so I, I brought it up to try to give him some hope, and then pretty much right. immediately it got dashed. <laughs> yeah, because Eady announced that he is going uh, back to Purdue. And so... I don't know what Kentucky's going to do. I don't know how good Arkansas is going to be losing all of their NBA talent. I don't know how good Tennessee's going to be, and it doesn't really matter because they can't win when it matters, and Alabama will take a significant step back. So when you look at this from an Auburn perspective and look at the SEC as a whole in basketball in this upcoming 23-24 season, you could say that it is Auburn's for the taking. I mean, the conference should be I think Auburn's Auburn, for the taking. I think it's Auburn versus Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And with Tennessee, I want to, I want to see what happens. What does Ziegler look like coming off the ACL? Because we've, I mean, we've we've talked about it with Lindsey, with Ronald Acuna, is that it kind of takes eighteen months for you to a hundred percent be back to, and comfortable in that knee, to be back to a hundred percent, and that's what you're seeing. Acuna's having an unbelievable year because he's. 18 months out he's mm-hmm. over 18 months out now um Ziegler by the time conference play starts is going to be what at nine ten months it's I am curious to see what he looks like because he's a guy who's very quick mm-hmm. uh can use that quickness well if you're not conf 100 confident in that surgically repaired knee how does that affect your game which we've seen with Auburn players I mean we we saw yeah. it with with Al. I mean, we saw it with Anthony McElmore. And Anthony McElmore, McElmore yeah. coming off the broken ankle. I think it took him a year to really feel comfortable because mm-hmm. he was really explosive for a power forward um, before the ankle injury. He still kind of was that year he came back, but it was the final year where I thought you saw him settle into ah, this is kind of old Anthony. Right, and I think that's a good point you bring up about Zakai Ziegler, who is coming back for Tennessee. We know how good he is. Now you have Viscovi, who's been there forever. (laughs) He's been there forever, man. Rick Barnes has been at Tennessee since 2015, and he's taken them deep in the tournament, but he's never gotten to the Final Four because they can't win on the big stage. They have yet to be able to do it. Not that eight years is a super long time, but it's a, a decent amount of time where you got to see results. And he's had really good teams. He too. has had really good teams, and he's that's had what I'm really saying. Really talented teams. He's and, yet to get to the Final Four. He's had some random just years where they have choked about as bad as you can 
uh, in the SEC and in postseason play. I mean, mm-hmm. I think back to Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield that Gosh. were dominant in the regular season. That was such a good team. And then they run into Auburn in the SEC tournament, and Auburn's, as the five seeds, having to run through everybody on the way to the championship game. And I have heard stories about people uh, in the student section in Nashville for that game, and Admiral Schofield comes over pregame and says, I've, I've got something for you all today. And then he scores, I think, five points. Yeah, he didn't score much. <laughs> he didn't score much. And, and Auburn wins by 20-something? Yeah, Auburn just ran him out of the building. But when you look at Auburn, right, and we're talking about with Jayla Williams coming back, Janai Broom coming back, and Dylan Cardwell coming back. The only real threat there that was to leave was Janai Broom. Yes. And it wasn't a threat until he started performing really well in the G League, uh, in the G League Combine, the NBA Draft Combine. With all of those guys coming back, plus the guys you bring in recruiting, plus the guys you bring in through the transfer portal, just looking at Auburn in particular, this team has a chance to be really, really special. In a year that we didn't expect it to be that, we were waiting for 24-25, but 23-24 could be really, really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this team, because I still you have room to continue to add in specific spots. Uh, you and I have talked about potentially a post Mm -hmm. maybe a four or a guy who can play the four and five just to give a little bit of extra depth and security because we've seen how frequently Dylan Cardwell fouls and Janai Broom's not that much he's not that far off that pace to Mm -hmm. be honest I mean he was a three foul a game guy in 26 and a half minutes this past year Dylan Cardwell was a two foul a game guy in 13.4 minutes per game yeah it's crazy um so i mean there will be games where both of them get in foul trouble quickly and auburn's gonna have to find somebody to play and they're gonna have to go small and i would i don't think you necessarily have to because you're only you've only used up 10 scholarships right Right, you have a couple to fill i mean i think at the and you you've already you've already fixed your uh scholarship limitations over Mm -hmm. the past two years with the with the fbi thing that's gone so i mean and Leor Berman's probably going to get one of them. He's going to get one of those one-year scholarships. But I am curious to see how Auburn plans to attack those final two spots. Got to take an early break here at hour number two on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, joining us at 3.15. Normally joins us at 3.30. Had to move it up just a bit. So taking an early break. Uh, phone lines are going to be closed. We're going to talk to Chris Gordy, get his thoughts on the SEC spring meeting. Some baseball coming up this weekend with the regionals. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, joins us on the other side. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio here for the Thursday edition of On the Line, getting to our Thursday guest, Chris Gordy, a few minutes early. Normally joins us at 3.30, but uh, joining us here a few minutes early. Chris, happy Thursday, man. Hope you're doing well. Are you at the SEC spring meetings this week? I'm not. I had originally planned to go and then uh, had some, some things come up, so wasn't able to uh, to get down there. But I've got enough boots on the ground of, of friends who are out there and been keeping in touch with them and pretty up on the day-to-day of what's been going on. And obviously it's all headlined with, you know, what is the future of, of SEC football scheduling, you know? And so, Chris, what is the future of SEC football scheduling in your <laughs> mind? Are, are you are you big into this debate of eight games, nine games? Because it seems like either people are way too invested or literally couldn't care less. 
Yeah, I mean, my my biggest issue with with the SEC and, and, and football scheduling for years has been what I call schedule inequity um, yep. and also not being able to go to certain, um, you know, certain venues and, and you know, like once, once every decade. You know, uh, I went with my wife. She went to Kentucky, and we went to see LSU at Kentucky uh, a couple of years ago, and that was the first time LSU had been to Kentucky in a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know Bama went down to the swamp, uh, you know, a year ago, and that was the first time Bama had been there forever. I think somebody even pointed out Georgia's never been to College Station uh, with A&M. <laughs> the conference. Wow. So it's just like we need to get more – we need to get some rotational – you know, the, the rotation going here. And I thought then going to nine games with the three permanents and everybody else rotating, I thought the math on that worked. And, and, and obviously it, it, it does where you're going to, you know, you go to a venue once, at least once every four years. I think that's great for the conference. I think rotating everything is great for schedule equality and, and all this other stuff. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's two big things that have come up here. One is, the money. Um, you know, I love that Greg Sankey started off with on Monday. It's not, it's not about the money. Whenever anybody says it's not about the money, it's about the money. That's right. Um, you That's know, when, right. They, when they went, when they went into this deal with, with ESPN and the SEC network and ABC and they said, Hey, our, our contract with CBS is expiring. They made this deal and, and it's great. You know, I mean, the, the talk is a lot of the SEC primetime games that get stuck in that two thirty central time slot are going to now move to the night games on ABC on Mm -hmm. Saturday night. Like, you know, I love the concept of that idea, and and everybody loved it. But what they neglected to put in those conversations, and and when they worked out this TV deal, was, hey, just by chance, if the SEC ever expands and we decide to go from eight to nine games, we get a little extra scratch. That was never agreed to, you know, and that's where I I kind of put a little onus on Greg Sankey and and the SEC, like, how that wasn't talked about. So basically they're coming back to ESPN and saying, well, guys, look, if we go from eight to nine conference games, we're giving you guys a whole nother week of SEC, you know, a whole SEC slate of games. We should get a little extra money. And ESPN's going, wait a minute, we already paid you guys, you know, out the wazoo to, to, for this TV deal. Uh, we're not paying you more money. So that was kind of the hold up there. And then on the flip side, the other thing holding this whole thing up is the, the in-betweeners. The, the old Misses, the Mississippi States, the Kentuckys, those schools that are petrified of, you know, my God, we need to keep four non-conference games so we can get our four cupcakes and get our four wins, and then we only need to win two more conference games, and then we're going, you know, and then we get to six and six, and we're going bowling, and, and, and I've saved my job. Um, those are the ones that are holding this thing up, saying, well, maybe we don't want to go to nine games. Maybe we stay at eight. So it's those are the two biggest factors holding this up, and as a result, here we are a year out from this happening. And basically, what Greg Sankey and some of the other folks have said is, if we need to just play eight games, you know, next year, we'll we'll do that, and then we'll just kind of figure out from there. Maybe we come to some kind of future resolution after that. My problem with that, guys, you go to sixteen, you go from fourteen to sixteen. Do the math with me. You go from fourteen to sixteen. We tell everybody you get one permanent rival. And then seven other teams, well, seven out of the other 15, you're going to miss half the league. And what we're going to find is schedule inequity will come into play. Mm -hmm. You will have a Georgia that maybe avoids Bama and LSU and, you know, so on and so forth. Whereas, you know, let's say an Auburn might have to play Alabama, Georgia, 
go to Austin and play Texas, go to Norman to play Oklahoma. Like, oh no! Not all <laughs> SEC, yeah, like not all SEC schedules are created equal. I've always said this. You know, when we when we had the permanent crossover rival, like there was a year. You know, when 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 Urban Meyer was crushing it at Florida and Tennessee, you know, started uh, spiraling down with Derek Dooley. There was a year Alabama played Tennessee and Vandy in the East. And LSU had to play Florida and Georgia. It's just not all SEC schedules are, are created equal. And, and just a spoiler, want to know who won the West that year? Yeah, it was Alabama because they had the easier path. So it's just that's where I'm a little afraid of. If we stick with eight games in 2024, who is somebody's going to get screwed and somebody's going to get the benefit of an easier schedule by avoiding some of the better teams in the conference. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you don't have to tell Auburn fans about schedule in, inequity because I think what – 2019 Auburn played six of the top 11 teams in the country which is just ridiculous uh but moving forward with the two different formats like who do you see could be like a winner of of an eight or nine game uh schedule and who could be like a loser well the easy winner is Georgia I love Kirby's comments the other day this this is the most overblown topic well yeah the guy sitting there who just won back-to-back national titles who's got blue chip after blue chip loaded on his roster, yeah, I bet you do have the attitude of, we'll play anybody anywhere. We don't care. Like You better believe it. Kirby to have that, yeah, it's easy for Kirby to have that take, whereas if you're Hugh Freeze, you're going, hey, man, I'm trying to build this program back up. I'm trying to get some transfers in here, build up the recruiting class. Like, can we, you know, can you give us a little time on this to build this thing up before you just throw a gauntlet at us? So, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to find out. I just, I, again, the, the losers in this too are, are SEC fans, you know, are, are fans that are hoping to, you know, oh man, it, it'd be great to start mapping out and plan our trip out to Austin to go see our team play Texas or, you know, or, or play Oklahoma or whatever. And now we're going to almost have to put that on the back burner and just kind of piecemeal a schedule together for 2024, uh, you know, protecting just one rivalry among every team, which, you know, it's just crazy because we may lose, uh, you know, if, if we protect the Iron Bowl, okay, then we may lose Auburn, Georgia. If we protect the Iron Bowl, we may lose Bama, Tennessee, and so on and so forth. And it's just, it, it seems to me like Greg Sankey, who has led with an iron fist this whole time and been a, been a great commissioner for the SEC, it just feels like he should have done more here in the last six months to say, guys, let's get to the table, let's get this deal done. Texas and Oklahoma are coming sooner rather than later, and they just never did. And now here we are sitting with our hands out going, uh, we don't know what to do now. And Chris, what worries me is the fact that if they go to the you know the, the eight-game, one-year temporary schedule and say, oh, we'll figure it out, they've been talking about this for over two years, and they've yet to figure it out. So what makes them think they're going to be able to do it next year? Well, I think most people still like the the nine the nine-game model, the six plus three, you know, the six rotation and the three per minute, I think for the most part, most schools are on board with that. You know, Kentucky, one of their big gripes was, well, we like playing Louisville. We like our our permanent rival with Louisville, but it's going to be really tough for us to keep playing Louisville every year and and play nine games in the SEC. And my answer to that is tough. You don't want to – are you that scared of Louisville that you you, you – like, we got to keep only eight SEC teams in Louisville. It's like – then drop Louisville if you're so afraid of them. Mm-hmm. If you're not afraid of them, then keep playing them. Now, like on top of this, you know, there's still rumors that Greg Sankey and the SEC will tell people of those three non-conference, you still have to play a Power Five team in that mix. Um, you know, whereas I think the Mizzou's and Eli Drinkwitz would probably prefer 
oh, we'll go schedule Montana State and Delaware State and, you know, so on and so forth. But, like, I just – like, if that's what we're really afraid of, you know, South Carolina, you know, do they want to keep Clemson? I'd probably move on from the Clemson rivalry. <laughs> if, if I'm going to nine, nine SEC games and have three non-conference, yeah, I'm going to take Clemson off the, off the rotation and, and say goodbye to that rivalry. So – you know, we'll see what happens here. Again, I expect you know they, they were saying today was going to be kind of be the deadline if they were going to vote on this at the de- at the meetings in Destin. So haven't heard anything yet out of today. So this thing may get tabled again, and it's just a shame because we are sitting here a year out from next year's football schedule, and we still don't have a plan. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, joins us every Thursday, usually at 3.30. I have him on a few minutes early today. One more question quickly before we let you go. Regionals this weekend in college baseball, eight SEC teams hosting. That's the most ever. Ten SEC teams are in. Your biggest and boldest prediction for regionals this weekend? Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, there's two teams that are coincidentally top five seeds in the SEC that I'm a little afraid of, a little afraid for. One is LSU. Uh, Paul Skeens, obviously the best pitcher in the country, has been phenomenal. They have got some major questions behind uh, behind Skeens when it comes to pitching. And they've got Oregon State as the two-seed in their bracket. As we know, Oregon State is a team that, uh, you know, they've they won championships in, in years past. But Oregon State, they, their pitching's not great, but their offense is really good. And so I just, I, I, I'm scared for LSU that, you know, if they throw Skeens on Saturday and they find themselves in a, you know, a regional final against Oregon State, and they don't have him, and Oregon State is teeing off, and they're in a shootout 11-10, to 10, man, LSU could lose at home in the Baton Rouge Regional, and that would be a monster loss for the team that was number one for much of this season in college baseball. The other one is Arkansas. For Arkansas being a top-four seed, the draw that they got getting TCU in there, <laughs> the two-seed, like, it's, it's a brutal draw that they got. So I have some questions about Arkansas coming out of the Fayetteville Regional as well, but... Um, you know, Auburn and Alabama, I kept telling you guys a couple weeks ago, if they kept playing strong, I thought they were in play for regional sites. And sure enough, uh, both Auburn and Alabama get in there. So um, we'll see, man. It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm still sticking with my prediction that I think multiple SEC teams will be punching their tickets to Omaha. But, man, there's a couple I could see on upset alert this week. Wow, LSU and Arkansas, those are surprising picks as, as upset alert this weekend in yeah, regional, Chris. I was expecting Chris. South Carolina and Kentucky mm-hmm. when you started that answer. Yeah, that's been the popular one for sure. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Again, he joins us every Thursday at 3.30. Had him on a few minutes early today. We appreciate him adjusting his schedule and coming on with us, talking all things SEC. Chris, let everybody know where they can find you and your podcast and what's coming up. Yeah, just uh, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast. we got the YouTube video version up there. So just go to YouTube, type Locked on SEC. We're talking all things scheduling with our buddy Chris Marler on, uh, talking about uh, you know the future of SEC scheduling. And I-, I got a feeling for tomorrow's episode, it'll be more of the same. We'll see what happens there coming out of Destin today. Chris, as always, man, we appreciate you and your time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Again, he joins us every Thursday right here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7, usually at 3.30. Bumped him up a few minutes, and we appreciate him doing that for us. So when we come back, we'll talk about what Chris just talked about because I have a few things I want to make note of on football and in baseball. He always has great stuff to say. It's always fun having him on. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Go check it out. He does a fantastic job. And again, when we come back, we'll react to what Chris had to say with the schedule. I thought he had some really interesting points on that and with baseball his surprising picks on upset alert lsu and arkansas we'll talk about all that when we come back here on the thursday edition of on the line 
On the Line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. We appreciate Chris Gordy uh, moving up a few minutes and uh, adjusting his schedule for us and really us adjusting for him. And we appreciate that. Appreciate him always hopping on every single Thursday, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. He had some interesting notes that I want to talk about when it comes to the SEC spring meetings with the scheduling conversation. Uh, It's been the topic all week long here uh, and really around uh, college football especially the SEC trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do when Texas and Oklahoma come so want to uh, want to comment on a few things Chris had to say also with college baseball he had some big predictions for SEC regionals this weekend so want to talk about that as well do also want to note uh, before we get into all of that just got an email from uh, Marlene over with Auburn's athletic department and Auburn basketball will open the 2023-2024 basketball season against Baylor in South Dakota how about that that's a that's a great team to start the year off with on November 7th oh yeah I mean I'll I'll be curious to see what that Baylor team looks like going into this next year I mean I think with the state of that program and just how good that that they've been since that national championship um I mean this could be a battle of two teams that could uh, be elite eight or better teams Mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the season right and of course the team that you are in November is not the team that you'll be in conference play but a great way to start the year against somebody that can beat you and where you know you see a lot of these other schools like Kentucky and Duke and Kansas they usually open up with another big team like that Auburn opening up with Baylor so that'll be exciting did want to get that in uh, so we got that notification over the break but Chris Gordy host of the Locked on SEC podcast had a few things to say when it came to the SEC scheduling conversation the the argument Carter is eight games or nine right eight game schedule or nine game schedule permanent opponent three permanent opponents whatever there's so many possibilities the thing that he said that sticks out to me that I 100% agree with and I told you this the other day I can't remember if it was on the air or off the mic but the thing that I'm ready for in the SEC and I think we talked about this on the air I am ready for Auburn and other schools to play the other schools. I'm tired of the teams playing the same schedule every single year. And that's what Chris was talking about, how how LSU had not gone to Lexington in 10 years. Georgia's never been to Texas A&M in the 10, 11 years they've been in the conference. I'm ready for these teams to play other teams and go to other venues and have different schedules every year. I'm tired of Auburn playing the same seven teams every single year. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you 100% there. I think, I mean, you even had a, somehow you had a really weird stretch where it felt like you played South Carolina too many times than you should have. Yeah. And you lost all of them. Yeah. Uh, That's what makes it same, worse. There was a weird stretch of Tennessee kind of like that as well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Auburn played at Florida, like what? At, it's 08 and, or it was 08 and 19. 19. It was yeah. 11 years in between trips to Florida. Mm-hmm. And you had, of course, you had the shakeup when Missouri and Texas A&M came. So that's what really threw all that off is when mm-hmm. the schedule changed a little bit when they yeah. came to the conference too. I mean, I'd, I, I enjoy the road games at the East teams that you don't see that often. Yeah. I, mean, I was, I got to go to that game in Gainesville and that was like, that's one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen because mm-hmm. they had not had college game day uh, on campus in about, I think it was a decade, uh, they were a top team in the country. So was Auburn. Very exciting matchup. 
Uh, they were the 2.30 CBS game. All of the kind of circumstances dictated a great atmosphere, and it's the it's still the loudest road game I've ever been to. Uh, I think Jordan-Hare, there's been a few games that I would say uh, have been comparable, maybe even louder. Uh, I mean, I think about the the 17 Iron Bowl mm-hmm. from start to finish yeah. is maybe the most loud is the loudest atmosphere that I've been around. Either 17 um, or 19, but I think 17 was probably louder. 17 because of how it went coming, down. Well, and you're coming off the the Georgia game. Right. Uh the, how dominant you were over the number one team in that matchup. Mm-hmm. Then 2 weeks later, you've got a chance to do the same thing. And I think that dictated from wire to wire cuz that was 17 was a game where you walked in the stadium hour, two hours before kickoff like most students do, and you could feel the buzz and the electricity mm-hmm. in the air as hour, hour and a half before kickoff. Right. And, and it continued that way, and Auburn dominated that Alabama team. Uh, I think it was what? The, the Auburn Observer had their... Um, Friends of the Program podcast where they drafted uh, Auburn games from yeah. 2010 yeah. to today. I that. I'd argue that that Alabama game in 2017 should be eligible on the blowout uh, side of things because that Alabama team could have played eight quarters and they were not going to get to 26 points. Right. And that's the thing. When you talk about the Alabama game, which if if you do get the one permanent opponent, that's going to be the one that Auburn gets, obviously. Um, but with... With the scheduling change, I want not only do I want Auburn to go to Florida more and go and play these other schools, when Texas and Oklahoma come, I want Auburn to go and play in Austin and go and play at Oklahoma. I also want those schools to come to Auburn. I want Florida to come back to Jordan-Hare Stadium. I want the Longhorns to come to Jordan-Hare Stadium, right? I want different schedules every year because the only thing that seems to change really is whether you're playing at home or away, but you're playing everybody in the West and you have your two SEC East crossovers. Obviously, Auburn's the permanent with Georgia and you have the other rotating one. I'm ready for the schedules to be different, man. I, and that's, yeah. I'm just ready for it to, to have some, some disparity. And like Chris said, not all SEC schedules are created equal. And so if the SEC is trying to make it as fair as possible, I get that. I do. But if you, you can't have best of both worlds of we want to keep all the biggest rivalries Mm -hmm. and try to make it as equal as possible that's not gonna happen and like you said look at Auburn Auburn has some of the biggest rivalries but they also have the hardest schedule in college football so I mean Auburn is a top five hardest schedule year in and year out and no matter what happens it has to get a little bit easier Uh, I think there are some scenarios where it could get it could be more favorable the changes compared to the rest of the conference for Auburn. Um, but, I mean, it's you're always going to have Alabama. If you go to nine games uh, nine games of conference play, you're probably always going to have Georgia. <laughs> and then, I mean, if the SEC really wanted to, to ruin your life, they could saddle you with, like, an LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope there would be more fairness to that than that. But, uh, yeah, no, I think it would be – it's going. There's going to regardless. You're going to see Auburn play everybody in the conference, home and away in a, um, in a four year period. And I'm excited about that. Uh, this conversation and you talking about playing on the road, kind of makes me wonder. Like, 
Once Texas and Oklahoma join this conference, what is the hierarchy of hostile environments in the SEC? Oh goodness, that you can make a whole show out, a whole hour out of that. I mean, it's you would you'd I have think, to rank I think your your top three are Jordan Hare, Baton Rouge, yes, and the Swamp, Death yeah. Valley, the Swamp, and Jordan Hare. Mm-hmm. Those three at their peak, yeah, I think are the loudest. I think Georgia has gotten a lot better as they've gotten a lot better. And they're finally getting a night game for the first time in two years this year. Did you see that with the schedules? They're finally getting a night game inside Sanford Stadium, so good for them. Yeah. Congrats, guys. Yeah. All, um, all it took was two national championships for them to get a look, night game. Vandy is last. <laughs> Ole Miss is second to last. Um, outside of that, I mean, South Carolina can be pretty good. When, when they're good, they can be really loud. Lexington's a sneaky, tough place to play at times. Yeah, I don't think it's as good as South Carolina, though. I know either. Um, A&M's the most overrated place in the country. The most overrated, and it's... it's Especially with the amount of people close. that are there. They have so many people. They have their, their fan handbook that doesn't... They aren't allowed to boo players on the other team. So uh, stupid. Which is funny. Just... That, that place is not that... Like, look, too many good teams go on the road to A&M and win mm-hmm. for, for you to get the respect that they have been getting for the 12th man. I'm glad you bring this up because it goes into something I wanted to hear what you had to say about this. I saw on Twitter, maybe yesterday or the day before, about this conversation, and somebody and I don't remember who it was, so I can't give credit, unfortunately, but somebody was talking about, with this conversation, if you lose, take Auburn, for example, right? Auburn's biggest rivalries, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. I think those are the three big ones that Auburn plays every year. They're deep, they're rooted, and LSU not as long, but it's still really heated. Somebody on Twitter was saying that when you, if you change the schedule up and you lose all of those rivalries except one, you're changing what makes college football special, which is tradition and what in the rivalries and the customaries, right? You're changing and you're taking away what makes college football so special. I thought that was an interesting perspective on it because that's what separates college football from the NFL is, yeah, you do have the rivalries. You do have well, I guess the... Well, you, you do in your division in yeah, the NFL. Yeah, but you have your, you know, the deeply rooted, just the, the passion that's behind it. And you have the... the deep south oldest rivalry in auburn and georgia and if you lose that then yeah i think you would be losing something from college football and i thought that was an interesting perspective yeah yeah i mean you absolutely would but let's i think there is a misconception when we talk about like the potential of an eight game sec schedule yet you kind of lose the deep south's oldest rivalry that game's still going to get played it's just going to get played every other year. It's mm-hmm. not going to be this like, it's not like you're going to have the Auburn-Florida situation where you play twice in 11 years or whatever it may be. That's not how that's going to work. You're going to see each other every two years. It's not like it's, it's not gone forever like Texas and Texas A&M were until 2024 when it's going to come back. It's, I think that is one aspect of the schedule conversation that is getting a little blown out of proportion. People being like, oh, it's it's gone. It's gone. I mean, yes and no. It's gone from every year. Mm-hmm. You're still going to play each other, and still you're still going to have the same amount of hate, I believe, 
in the Auburn-Georgia matchup because you're so close together, and it's there's so many Auburn alums that come from the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I, it, it will be interesting to see how it changes, but I, I don't think it just 100% disappears like some people have been talking about. Yeah, and we were talking yesterday after the show. Take the Auburn-Georgia rivalry, for example. If you take it from every year to every other year, I asked you this question, and we can talk about this. Do, will the rivalry lose its intensity if it's not played every single year? I made the argument, and again, this was after the show, I made the argument that it might intensify, believe it or not, because if you don't play it every single year, then you have the the quote-unquote buildup of, okay, we didn't play last year, it's time to go after them this year because we won't see them next year. It could also just be stay the same, but I think it could possibly intensify. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it would, like in the Auburn-Georgia situation in the current context of Hugh Freeze going into year one, as he tries to build a program that is capable of competing, going toe-to-toe with Georgia every single year, I think it would allow you to build up quicker because you're not saddled with an automatic loss early in your tenure playing Georgia. Because that's what it is right now. Yes. I mean, that's what it is for... Every, it's, that's what it is everybody. for everybody in the East as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what it is. But everybody in the East and Auburn right now have the automatic loss against Georgia. That's just the way it is with how that program is built and how dominant they've been in this run. I I do think it takes something away. It will it will take away a little bit the the level of hate and and I I think there's validity to yeah like. You're not losing the rivalry, but you're losing a little bit of the edge. And I think until both teams are able to go truly toe-to-toe, you may see a little bit of a lull where it's not as there's not as much hate back and forth. Yeah, and I don't know. And I'm just kind of brainstorming on this is if that is what ends up happening, how would Auburn fans feel about you know only playing Georgia every two years instead of every single year, right? The Alabama game's going to stay. We had Lance yesterday talk about the the Auburn LSU game and how that was one he didn't want to see go away for you know every single year. And that's I understand that. I just think with with when you change the schedules in college football, you are going to uh, you are going to change the the. Basically, the traditions, you're going to change the passion for for college football, and it is going to change it a little bit, and I thought that was interesting for somebody that I saw on Twitter. But let's take our final break here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we'll get to Shane. He's got something really quick. We'll get to him on the other side of the break, 334-321-1390. Stay tuned. We'll wrap up the Thursday edition of the show when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines really quickly before we wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Shane, we appreciate you holding on through the break, man. What you got? Yeah, guys, I just want to real real quickly Um. I'm sorry, my vehicle was messing up. Oh um, no, you're good. Real, uh, add um, about the Georgia rivalry. About the about the Georgia rivalry, you you went out a little bit there on the Shane. 
Yeah, hold on one sec. Yeah. My bad. Um, about the Georgia rivalry okay. uh, in particular. Um, yeah. And I think it's a combination of both, both of y'all's uh, comments. I, um, Jake, I, I believe it will in, uh, make it a little bit more intense if we don't have to play them every year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Carter, and it's partly because, um, you know, it, it will give us say, – say it happens next year and we have to play them this year but not next year. That gives us – you know, two more years to build ourselves up so that Agreed. we could, you, you know, you know, combat that that um, barrage that they're going to they're, they're at right now. We're trying to get at. So you know, I think it'll, it'll give us more time and other teams. You know, maybe you know, not just Auburn, but but it'll give it'll give us, you know, a better chance that when we do play them, that it's a little bit more level. And um, I think that'll help the rivalry. So I, I think I think it will add to the the intensity if we could. Not see them every year. Mm-hmm. Plus, and they're 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 just conceited people over there, man. I don't know. Uh, I'd rather not see them every year, especially at Jordan here. Yeah. Right. Where you go, guys? Yeah, appreciate the call, Shane. Good to hear from you. We appreciate you holding on through the break. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. See, I'm on I'm on the other end of that. That I think not playing them every year would take away a little bit from the year in year out hate. But I agree with the aspect that it would allow Auburn to build back up quicker. Um. I, and I think that that is, if I am an Auburn fan right now that wants Auburn to get back to where it has been and can be, I wouldn't mind it going away, at least in the interim, until you are back at a spot where you can look them in the eye and say, okay, let's actually, like, this isn't about who recruited the best players and who has the most blue chip players. This is about who can coach better, adjust yeah. in game better, those type of things. I don't think Auburn's at that level. Um, playing them every other year would allow Auburn to get back to a point like that quicker. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't get over the fact that not playing every single year, I think I can't get past the idea that I just I, I don't think that would enhance the rivalry. I, I think that it would lessen the year-in, year-out, day-to-day hate that those two schools have. Well, here's where I'll push against that, is I don't think the the intensity and the hate between Auburn and Georgia is not going anywhere. You cannot play this game for 10 years, and when they came back, it would still be there, loud and proud. I don't think it's going anywhere. And so... To, to kind of put all of this together, yes, it would absolutely help Auburn if you don't have to play the juggernaut of Georgia every single year, which, as we mentioned, is basically an automatic loss that you can throw on the schedule right now for pretty much anybody in college football. And so for Auburn and Hugh Freeze, if they want to get back to or try, try to get back to being the top in college football, playing Georgia every year is not really the way to do that and it's not that you're wanting to avoid good competition believe me you're going to play some good teams every year no matter if Georgia's on the schedule or not I just think that the the rivalry and the intensity and the the hatred between Auburn and Georgia the schools the teams and the fans I don't think it's going anywhere and I don't think taking that game away from every year and just playing it every other year would negatively impact it it could positively impact it I don't know if it will and I don't know if it would but I think it could and so it's going to be interesting I'm not saying it would be like a severe impact Mm -hmm. I just think not seeing those schools every play each other every single year I think it would lessen it a little bit a tiny bit which is fair you may not even really notice but I think it would lessen a little bit we'll see what happens and the SEC better figure it out man because 
Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to be here real soon. And so we'll see what happens with the SEC. But until tomorrow, we're out of time. Come back tomorrow, though, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. We'll wrap up the week and get into the weekend. Until then, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.